Welcome to the Darkened Doorway podcast, your doorway to everything crimey, murdery and weird. Hi Darklings and welcome back to the Darkened Doorway. This episode's a little bit skintastic. That's right, we're talking about skin. Human skin. Throughout the centuries, human skin has been entangled with the darkest corners of human existence, revealing the depths of both human depravity and cultural fascination. Join us in this quick episode as we peel back the layers of history, pun intended, to uncover the shocking and often disturbing tales surrounding the use of human skin. So I blame you for this one and apologies in advance because, yup, this one is, uh, yeah, a bit skin crawly. Hey, look, I I do not accept that. No, Uh, I am not to blame. Who found skin (laughs) pants and uh, introduced me to the whole world of Nabrook? Okay, but it was fascinating and you had to know because it was in my brain. (laughs) Yes. So... During some of our uh, research for the podcast, uh, somebody came across the story of the skin pants. And um, yeah, so then I also looked. um, And here we are today because there is some quite interesting things that have happened with human skin (laughs) during during the past uh, past, uh, period of time that humans have existed because, yep, it's amazing. (laughs) so i thought it could be interesting to share some of these uh macabre things that we've discovered and if you want us to cover some more of these things a bit more in detail and boy oh boy do we have some juice on some of these then let us know via facebook or instagram at the darkened doorway podcast and we can do a bit of a deeper dive into some of these stories so throughout history Various instances of wearing human skin have been documented, revealing the disturbing and macabre practices of different cultures and individuals, particularly the individuals. Your dogs are barking in the back. I can hear them very loudly. (laughs) This is something our podcasters will have to get used to. I have five dogs. (laughs) But hold that thought and I'm just going to quickly go and yell at them. I I mean, gently encourage them to stop because she's literally Mm -hmm, barking mm -hmm. at nothing. Hold on. <laughs> That's okay. It's uh, your dog's turn to be uh, a bit barky today. Last time it was my dog, so it's okay. Swings and roundabouts. Okay, so I'm back. Um, sorry, guys. I spoke to her nicely, gave her some snacks, and I think she understands to be a little bit more quiet now. She's a little werewolf. She's a werewolf. I love her little cotton socks. So, where were we at? Throughout history, various instances of wearing human skin have been documented, revealing the disturbing and macabre practices of different cultures and individuals. The Skythens? Scythians? I'm not sure. Scythians? I have no idea. It's um, Scythians. I don't know if that's correct. An ancient civilization, anyway. They sewed together scalps to create cloaks and saddlecloths made from human skin, serving as a display of their prowess in killing and also just looking like super fashionable. 
Oh, so fashionable. They had little extra hangy hand bits hanging off the front of their mm. gowns and sometimes even double lips. Mm. It was quite attractive. Wow. I wonder if they had like a fashion week. <laughs> Maybe. Imagine the smell. Jesus. Oh, goodness. Okay. So the Mayan god, Zippy Totec, or Zippy. I'm sorry, what was that? <laughs> Zippy Totec? Zippy Totec. Zippy Totec. Yeah, Zippy Totec. Mm -hmm. Is that how we say it? Sure. It sounds like Zippy Top Deck to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Top Deck. That's what it is. Zippy Top Deck. Yeah. Zippy Top Deck. Yes. Zippy Top Deck. Oh, that could be a a nice new chocolate. Come on, Cabris. Or Nestle (laughs) or any chocolate people. Yeah. Anyone at all. Yeah, no. They they could sponsor us. They could sponsor us, but I wouldn't recommend calling it uh, Zippy Top Tech. Not when I'm about to tell you what uh, these (laughs) wonderful priests actually did. So these priests engaged in flaying sacrificial victims and then wearing their dyed skin as a form of a ceremonial attire. They then dyed them yellow and called them golden cloaks, you know, because that's amazing. So, in Iceland, a legend emerged in 17th century, promising wealth to those who wore the complete nabruk, which is pants made from the flayed lower half of a corpse, which we will expand on in a sec, because that's why we're here. <laughs> and it's fascinating, and there's some, you know, money-making tips in it. And in these financial times, who doesn't need money-making tips? Correct, mm. correct. And, and you know, apparently this was quite successful. Apparently. Mm, don't know. Mm, we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. And, of course, this episode, this skintastic episode, would not be complete without mentioning the notorious serial killer, Ed Gian, who made headlines with his collection of human skin items, including a suit made entirely from human skin. And again, this story is too good just to mention. So we will dive a bit deeper into this one too. And then, you know, there's some books bound in human leather. And yes, there's quite a few of them. So first up, Nabruk, also known as necropants or or corpse britches, which I'm pretty sure is my favourite name for them because, you know, something about britches is always a bit exciting. It's a good word. Yeah, britches. Sorry, that's probably not appropriate. <laughs> I kind of love it. <laughs> so, Nabruk are a pair of pants that are made from, as as you mentioned, a corpse. To be exact, it's actually made specifically from the corpse's skin over its hip, groin, legs and feet. And they include everything attached to those areas. Oh, God. Everything. Like, they're detailed. I'm already uncomfortable. So, the, <laughs> so these amazing pants come from Iceland where they have this amazing past practice of practicing sorcery and witchcraft. This was done widely up until the 17th century and they had two forms of it, white magic and black magic. They used it to benefit themselves, but they also used it for benefiting others. So when the 17th century began, the Icelandic people called it the Icelandic Brunod. I'm really bad at these. You are. Anyway, so am I. It's okay. <laughs> but it means the age of fire because, you know, like, got to have the most metal name of an age and all. 
well, age of a uh, small amount of radiant heat or a, a lightly flickering flame doesn't quite have the same ring to it. Mm, I guess not, but I'm not averse to it though. Like the age of small amount of radiant heat sounds rather dramatic if you say it in the right way. Well, you've got to have it with the metal voice. Mm, I don't have that. Unfortunately, though, <laughs> unlike in other countries, they seemed to go through the whole magic is scary, we better kill it off phase, and they started to persecute people practicing magic. So all the awesome fun stopped. They were such killjoys. Yeah. I mean, you bring one sacrificial kill to work one time and they're like, no, Ugh. people are so judgy. Well, you did slap it on the boardroom desk. Um, did not. There was that. <laughs> Back to the britches. So the purpose of these fabulous pants was to attach wealth to the wearer. And there were some pretty interesting set of steps to get your very own pair. How do I get me some of those magic pants then? <laughs> First of all, you have to get the permission of a person to make them into Nabrook after they died. Consent is important, kids. Once the obliging person died, you were set to flay the skin off their corpse. And, of course, you have to allow them to be buried and then you have to dig them up. Because that's going to be fun. Mmm, not smelly. It also seems they have to have been a man. Because an important part of this was to ensure that you have the scrotum. <laughs> scrotum. <laughs> Completely intact. So once you've flayed your pants off the body, then, and this is so gross, you put the pants on against your skin. Mm -mm. The cold, dead, filleted skin of your presumably late friend sliding over your own skin. Oh, God. <laughs> they were supposedly meant to basically fuse with your own skin. So just um, just really imagine that because, oh, like, can you imagine the smell, let alone the ick factor? Maybe you could just add a nice bunch of lavender into the boy bit area and, you know, to help with the smell. Thoughts? Oh, it would be so musky. The pants would only actually bring you wealth if you had a stolen coin from a widow and you got that coin and you put it in with a magical sign called a, oh, here's a good one, Nabrukkastafur. Oh, I reckon you said that pretty okay. Ah, well, we'll see. I'm sure I'll get yelled at if it's wrong because we always say the wrong mm -hmm. places and it, it's part of our charm. Um, now this <laughs> Nabrukkastafur was written on a piece of paper and you placed that and the coin in the scrotum of the pants. Very important. Then more coins would appear in your brand new scrotum sack pants. Can I just ask, was it, you know, was it better to have a larger sack, well, you know, because then more coins could fit? Yes. Like, I, I can only see that as a positive. And would you like, would you right. judge which of your friends had, I'm going to stop right there. That's a big thought. That thought yeah, doesn't need yeah, to, no, don't yeah, mind me, yeah. kids. I'm also worried about the widow. Yeah, no, the widower too. Like, was it her partner? That's what I'm saying. Then you've got the widow set to go because your friend has already died. Right. Okay. So now you've got a, a widow to rob. Go team. <laughs> That's amazing. Isn't it? Um, different mm -hmm. times, different times. So it was super important that you didn't tear the pants as that would affect the money attracting abilities. And if you kept them in good shape, you could actually pass them on to other members of your family. How do they, like, do you, do you just work out who's the same size as you? Like, how does, oh, how does that, and do you take them off to like have a bath or wash? Like, I'm, 
not okay. I'm a bit awkward. Well, this is the thing. I think, like, and do you tan them? Because it says that once you get them off, you're meant to put them straight on so they fuse with your skin. So these are not tanned pants. These are rotting skin pants. Um, so I, I don't really know. Maybe the heat, the, the radiant heat of the body kept them dry. I, I don't know. Oh, see, there's that radiant heat. It is. Mm-mm. We knew it was coming. Mm-mm. <laughs> now, the only Mm-mm. catch is they had to put the pants on leg for leg. So as you got out of them, the person had to put their leg into the leg you've removed or else you would spill the magic out of all of them. And it, it just wouldn't be worth oh, it. God. So I'm hoping there's some serious jingling that's happening there because mm, that's a lot of effort. Jingling as in coins in that scrotum pouch. Yep, in there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> now, because I know we all want to see these magical pants, there is only one pair that you can see. And unfortunately, they are a reproduction. And they're on display in the Museum of Icelandic Sorcery and Witchcraft. Stories of Nabrook have been part of Icelandic folklore for a ridiculously long time. However, there isn't much to suggest it was much more than a story. But who knows? I don't know. Would you be willing to wear corpse pants? Mm-hmm. I don't even wear stockings in winter, so I might have to stick with trying our hand at podcasting instead. Sponsorship, anyone? I don't know. Sponsor her to try on the corpse pants. I dare you. No corpse pants is for me. <laughs> oh, you are a mean, mean woman. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my second what the fuck is a book called Cutus Vera Jonas Horwood. It's not cute, by the way, people. It's not cute. It is not cute. And it is written in gold gilt lettering. Now, this literally means... And I quote, the actual skin of John Horwood. And it is actually the skin of a guy from the 1820s called John Horwood. Mm, Gold gilt lettering. So fancy. Gotta go a little flash. John Horwood ended up as a book cover after a pretty questionable set of circumstances in 1821 involving a girl called Eliza Balsam. So John and Eliza had grown up in the same village and were around 18 at the time of the incident. And according to some sources, Eliza and John had had a relationship, but Eliza had ended it much to John's regret. So when Liza started to chat with a new gentleman, gentleman caller, called William Waddy, John was pretty upset and he actually threw a rock at Eliza because apparently we're all five years old. Yes, throwing rocks is such a mature way to handle things. It's very mature. But unfortunately for John, he actually had pretty good aim and he hit her in the temple, which caused him apparently at the time a minor injury. John was known as a bit of a brat, though, by everyone in his town pretty much and was known to be pulling practical jokes on neighbours and generally being an annoying ratbag. So this was not a great move and made him an easy target, as you'll see. After the rock throwing incident, Eliza actually sought treatment at the Bristol Royal Infirmary. So for several days, she walked to and from her home to the infirmary for treatment of a depressed skull fracture they found. I don't know how they found it because I'm pretty sure they didn't have x-rays back then, but hey, whatever. They probably poked it like, you know, pokey pokey. Yeah, I don't know. That's a horrible thought. And and as you can Mm -hmm. imagine, in a time when doctors would claim you had ghosts in your blood and you should do cocaine about it, the medical treatment was not quite what you might expect to get these days. But... Didn't she walk back and forth from the hospital for like several days? It couldn't have been that bad, surely. Well, that's what I figure as well. 
But unsurprisingly, as with all of these hospitals, Eliza actually ended up suffering a pretty bad infection after they decided to do a tree panning procedure, which is pretty much just a burr hole being drilled into your skull. The theory was they would clear out the infection from the inside of the skull. So, yeah, that was a super idea and she died. So then the doctors, and I use that term so very loosely, went and jobbed in John, blaming him for her death. Couldn't be the substandard medical care. Mm -mm. Mm -mm, Not at all. I'm not sure how anyone would think it would be a good idea to drill a hole into anyone's head, but I know there's been lots of history about it. You know, before they knew all about hygiene and stuff, nothing could, nothing bad could possibly happen if you take a Makita drill to someone's brain. Like, surely it'll be fine. Well, oddly enough, they actually do use burrs in modern, like in modern medical practice these days. But the difference is we, um, we don't just spit on the drill to clean it. So, yeah, I guess there's that. <laughs> For a bit of lube. Yeah, <laughs> nice. Cleaning and lube. So multitasky. Mm. So I'm guessing because John was the village pain in the butt, he was quickly arrested and faced trial. And I think it would be fair to say that the trials back in the day were not always super fair. And believe it or not, the evidence that Eliza died due to unclean medical care, not the stone that John threw causing her death, was literally never put forward to the court. So I would fire that lawyer ASAP. Mm-hmm. Oh, because, you know, lawyers always do the right thing for their clients and they never, never, ever open to corruption. Maybe he was his doctor or something. Probably. I'd say there wouldn't be more than one in a town. (laughs) True, true. Sure enough, John was found guilty and sentenced to hang, which he did two whole days later. Talk about a speedy trial, though. This whole event, from the rock being thrown to hanging, was just a bit over two months. It's crazy, isn't it? Like, no time for someone to go, yeah, but maybe it was Mr. Doctor. Like, no appeals, nothing. (laughs) No, no. Okay, so now that John was dead, his body was handed over to the doctor who had actually dobbed him into the sheriff and whose dodgy care resulted in Eliza's infection. So there definitely wasn't a conflict of interest there at all. No, no, not at all. Dr. Smith then took John's body for public dissection. Oh, did he get the girl's body too? Uh, I'm not sure about that one. They didn't mention it anywhere, Ooh. so I think he just went for John's. Oh, gosh. Now, John's friends actually tried to steal his body back. So, you know, he could be buried with some respect. But Dr. Smith was onto it and he took the body away during the night. So their plans were foiled. Didn't he hire a taxi, like a horse and cart kind of taxi to whisk his prize away? He definitely did. And it's like, yeah, okay, he really wanted that body. I guess because Dr. Smith was feeling a bit art and crafty. So as part of the dissection, he skinned John and set his, I guess you'd call it a pelt. Yeah, yeah. It's his pelt, like other pelts we've mentioned in recent episodes. Cough, cough. (coughs) Catherine Knight, hallway curtain. Ugh. I don't understand people's obsession with pelts here. So he got this pelt and he put it aside so that after his public dissection, he could have it tanned and preserved and then put together into a book which contained articles about the supposed murder of Eliza. This book still exists today and is at the Bristol Archives. Of course it is. Apparently they have a bunch of other human skin books too, I believe. Delightful. Yes, so delightful. But wait, there is actually more. So Dr. Smith also kept John's skeleton. And on his death, it was donated to the Bristol infirmary that he worked at. 
and then later to the Bristol University, where they kept it in a cupboard hung by a noose so that it could be identified as a felon's skeleton. That makes me feel really sad that they hung him in a cupboard by a noose. That's not okay. So, yeah, so they basically left him hanging in that cupboard by the noose just to let everyone know for the next hundred years that he was a felon, supposedly. Thankfully, in 2011, on the 13th of April at 1.30pm, exactly 190 years to the hour of John's execution, his great-great-great-grandniece managed to get his remains and actually held a funeral for him, sans skin, including a carriage in the style of elegant funerals of his time. So I guess at least he got that. Oh, wow. At least he got that. Like, yeah. Oh, that's beautiful that she managed to do the whole carriage thing. It was quite fancy. So fancy. And at least the truth is out there too, that he was just a bit of a dick and he threw a rock at a girl and Mr. Murdery Dr. Face did it. Mm Mm-hmm. Can't believe he got away with it. But anyway. I know. So, did you know that there is an official name for the binding of books in human leather? According to Wikipedia, there is even a project that examines books supposedly bound in human skin. Anthropodermic bibliopegy is the practice of binding books in human skin. As of (laughs) April 2022, the Anthropodermic Book Project has examined 31 out of the 50 books in public institutions, supposedly that are anthropodermic bindings. That is human skin because, you know, I've said that a lot now and now Mm. I'm an expert at saying anthropodermic bibliopegy. (laughs) Peggy? It might be Peggy. Biblio Peggy? I'm just going to laugh when someone writes to you and that's what they do for a living and they're like, that is not how you say it. <laughs> I hope nobody does it for a living. Oh, my God. Oh, maybe the researchers. Yeah. That's someone okay. would do that. Yeah. It, okay. It'd be a thing. Oh, God. Probably have to get a degree to do it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. At least we've got, you know, genetic testing now. Yeah. So how many were confirmed as human? Yeah, 18. 18 books were confirmed as human and the others were animal leather. So 13 were yeah, wow. animal leather. Wouldn't you just fuck Ooh. with them and send them like pleather books just to be like, ha gotcha. That was from typo. <laughs> yes. Yes, I would. That's exactly what I did. <laughs> I mean, would possibly do. You would definitely Definitely. <laughs> So there's a more recent human skin story, and it's the tale of the American serial killer, the Butcher of Plainfield, Ed Gein. Born Edward Theodore Gein on August 27, 1906 in La Crosse, Wisconsin. So this has been the inspiration for several fictional murderers, including Buffalo Bill and Norman Bates in the movie Psycho in 1960. And it's a series now too. (laughs) No, thank you. Uh, And there's the Texas Chainsaw Massacre as well in 1974. Not really my kind of movie. Have you seen that one? Oh, no, no, no. It's not mine either. King Kong was too scary for me when I was a kid. (laughs) But I think it would have been Catherine's kind of thing, though. Oh, yes, definitely. That was was her, uh, what'd she do? Mm. She likened it to watching porn after a hard day of, you know, torturing and killing animals. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and look. You know, I mean, if you don't know what we're talking about, you need to go back an episode and listen to the Catherine Knight ones Mm. because she would have loved that movie. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes, definitely. I did watch The Silence of the Lambs, though. I love that movie. 
It's like a it's like a comfort food movie. <laughs> oh, it's no, it's really not. No, no, no. That's not okay. You can't talk about food and Silence of the Lambs because he had an old friend for dinner. <laughs> no, no. No, no. He did. And that tongue thing glorious. that he does. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no. I love the tongue thing. It's hilarious. No, no. It reminds me of noisy eating. I can't do it. It's, oh, oh, yes. You do yeah. hate noisy eating. No, noisy eating. Thank you. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So, anywho, good old Ed Gian was a grave robber and murderer who recycled parts from his victims. In 1954, his macabre collection was discovered, and one of the items in his collection was a suit made entirely of human skin. Tell me more, I hear you say. Well, Ed Gian's childhood was marred with adversity. Oh, poor Ed. Poor Ed, indeed. <laughs> Note my sarcasm. <laughs> he had an alcoholic father who interestingly worked as a tanner at one point, and a verbally abusive mother. Gein's early years were fraught with turmoil, yet despite his mistreatment, he harboured an unsettling adoration for his mother, a fixation that deeply concerned his eldest brother, Henry. The tension within the family reached a tragic climax when Henry died under mysterious circumstances during a devastating fire near the Plainfield farm in 1944. Though Gein reported his brother's disappearance to the authorities, he shockingly led them straight to Henry's charred remains. Despite suspicious bruises on the victim's head, the death was deemed an accident. I don't think it was. So the authorities just didn't think, hey, how did he automatically know exactly where the body was? Yeah. Not no, suspicious no. at all. Not suspicious. Not suspicious. Mm -mm. And he was a young guy too. They thought that maybe he asphyxiated or something, but yep. Nope. Mm, nope okay. to nope. I think he was his first victim, mm -hmm. but you know, who am I to say? So the loss of his mother in 1945 plunged Gian into a reclusive existence. And this is when things started to get really creepy. He transformed his home into a shrine and cordoned off areas where his mother had once occupied, preserving them as hallowed spaces. But this was just the beginning of Gein's descent into darkness. Oh my God, that's exactly where Norman Bates came from, right there. Oh, really? Well, that's exactly what Norman Bates did in the movie. I'm like, oh, I bet he dressed up as her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is good old Ed was building a suit so he could look like Augusta. He absolutely did that. Oh, I haven't seen Psycho, so yep, I don't want to. Okay, you need to watch that. I think mm -mm. we can all agree you definitely need to watch that. Mm -mm -mm -mm. You no, can't no, be no. doing a true crime podcast and, and talking about this stuff and not have seen Psycho. Just saying. <laughs> Challenge not it's the accepted. law. <laughs> I will set it up with your husband. <laughs> right. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> no, no. Okay. Smash. So Ed became seriously obsessed with being reunited with his mother or maybe even becoming his mother. He read books about cannibalism, shrunken heads and Grey's Anatomy and not the TV show, <laughs> which fascinated him and shaped his insane mind. So he came up with the idea of making the skin suit, a.k.a. Psycho, mm -hmm. yep, from the remains of women who resembled his mother so that he could apparently become her. Her name was Augusta, wow. just, just in case I didn't cover that. 
So he did what any insane but recycling-minded person would do, and he started tracking deceased women who had the earmarks of his mother and exhumed them from their graves. Then he skinned them and made articles out of their skin. Wow, at least he was handy. Eventually people became a little suspicious and closely monitored their graves. Um, So poor old Ed had to resort to murder, of course, to achieve his aims. I guess at least he was a handy person. Yeah. Yeah, you wait. I have a list of how handy he was. He was very arts and crafty. (laughs) Very. Wow. Very. I think he trumps some of our other people. Do go on. I will. In 1957, the disappearance of Bernice Warden, a local hardware store owner, caught the attention of law enforcement. Gein had been seen with her shortly before she vanished. When authorities visited his farm, they uncovered a gruesome scene. Warden's lifeless body, brutally shot and decapitated, hanging from the roof like a macabre chandelier. Further investigation into Gein's abode revealed a horrifying truth. He had been systematically raiding the graves and amassing body parts. Using his disturbing collection, Gein fashioned household items like clothing and masks. And in a shocking twist, the head of Mary Hogan, a tavern operator who had vanished in 1954, was also discovered on his property. Wait, so just her head? Yep, yep, just her head. But there's more. I'll I'll tell you more. Oh, thank you. (laughs) You have my attention. So now household items doesn't quite give you the whole picture of good old Ed's depravity. Let me read you a list out of what was found. And we'll pop a few pictures on Facebook and Instagram if you want to see his skills. All of the items were well preserved and it is suggested it is because of his dad's tanning work that Ed could achieve such craftsmanship. (laughs) So here we go. The inventory of disturbing items discovered included human bones. Not so bad in the scheme of things. A wastebasket crafted from human skin, chairs upholstered with human skin, masks that were intricately, can't say the word, intricately made from the preserved faces of women, a belt constructed with, oh, (laughs) yeah, yeah, I know, female human nipples. It's delightful. That I have a picture of. There's a lampshade fashioned from the skin of a human face. How did they know that the belt was constructed from human female nipples? Well, I'm assuming it's because he just dug up females, oh. but I don't know if there's been any like genetic testing on on them to ascertain who they belong to. So there could be some, you know, male nipples in there. Mix up a few mm, different maybe. nip-nips. <laughs> different mm. nip-nips. <laughs> Okay, I'm still feeling quite uncomfortable. And so within a paper bag, a mask made from the likeness of Mary Hogan, who's the tavern operator that went missing, with her skull resting in a box, just resting there. Then you had Bernice Warden's decapitated head concealed in a burlap slap. Oh, sack, not slap. In a burlap sack. (laughs) It's not a slap. (laughs) Mm-mm. No, it's not. <laughs> Placed directly in front of Gein's pot-bellied stove, Bernice Warden's heart was enclosed in a plastic bag. And saving the best for last. Although the nipple belt looks pretty amazing. Yes, photos on our Facebook britches. 
there was a shoebox containing nine well-preserved volve. Yes, vulva, plural. Your face says it all. I can't. I. I. I can't even. Oh, that's so disgusting. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Why? Why go for the vulvas? They did nothing. Although I have to say, you did teach me that there is a plural of vulva now. Yeah, vulva. Like pupae. I think we Maybe. all learnt something right? today. Yes. <laughs> so, though apprehended, Ed Gein escaped formal charges due to his fragile mental state. He asserted that his actions had been carried out in a state of trance, often returning home empty-handed when not under the influence of his hallucinations. When questioned about engaging in acts of necrophilia, he vehemently denied the accusation and said that they smelled too bad. Oh, so he just wore them as clothing. (sighs) (laughs) Yeah, just wore them as clothing. Sure. Mm -hmm. That's fine. So, okay, a bit of Glen 20 on that, a bit of um, Febreze, extra strength, and they'll be fine. So fine. Chuck them in the dryer. No one will know. Mm-mm-mm. Oh, it might shrink, though. No one's going to know. No one's going to know. No. No. Mm. Does leather shrink? I thought that was wool. Oh. I'm not Googling that. I don't think leather that would shrink. to shrink. I'm, I'm going to Google oh. that. Imagine our history. <laughs> okay. Okay. So we've got the official word from Google. You can put leather into the dryer on high heat oh, for 30 minutes to shrink it. So, yes, it would shrink. He'd end up with small <laughs> small people clothes. Mm, mm. See, we're <laughs> educational. It's very helpful. <laughs> All right. We digress. We do. Gein's twisted actions brought him to the attention of the law, but his defence centred around his disturbed connection to his mother. While admitting to the killings, he pleaded not guilty by reasons of insanity. Initially deemed unfit for the trial, Gein later participated in his own defence in 1968. The court found him guilty of Bernice Warden's murder, but not of Mary Hogan, strangely, which wasn't trialled at all, apparently. However, his sanity at the time of the crime ultimately led to a declaration of insanity. Gein was once again confined to a mental hospital where he probably belonged right from the beginning Mm. and he would remain there until his death in 1984. Which I'm quite happy about, frankly. 100%. Oh, I wonder if they had leather couches in there. Maybe. (laughs) Oh, dude, that's horrible. (laughs) Yeah, sorry, sorry. So anyway, Darklings, that's all we have time for in this episode. But if you wanted us to dive a bit deeper into any of today's stories, or if you want to hear more episodes like this, or if you have any episode suggestions, please let us know via Facebook or Instagram. But for now, Darklings, please like and follow us on Spotify, Facebook and Instagram so you can catch up with us in our next episode. Keep it dark. Bye, bye, bye. Bye.